It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden, my friends. You bet I'm here, and I am ready to answer any question you can shoot at me. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I have more information at the tips of my fingers this week than I can possibly shake off during three hours. I have information about different kinds of caterpillars eating leaves on oak trees. I have information about the effect of the eclipse. You know, the eclipse is coming up in a couple of weeks and the effect of eclipse on chickens. I have many, many, many bits of information that you might need to help you be more successful in your landscape, in your lawn, in your garden, in your trees, with your organic gardening, with your synthetic gardening, with your pest control inside the house. You just just challenge me because I I say all this with a certain amount of humility because I make all sorts of mistakes during the week, and I made a couple this week that I had to quickly retract and put back on my website because somebody corrected me and said, hey, hey, Reeves, hey, that ain't right. Put that back. So I do have some some mistakes occasionally that I make as well. One of the interesting things that I heard this week that was curious to me was I had lunch. I had lunch at the Varsity. Ah, what a great place. I had lunch at the Varsity with Tim Boyer, who used to be the turf specialist for the University of Georgia, and now he works for Patton Seed. Actually, he's now retired from Patton Seed. The, the people that do uh, Zenith Zoysia and the big Super Sod, uh, sod series and the uh, big yellow bag of soil. And Ashton Ritchie was there as well. They live down south of the city. They get together in a car and drive up, and I meet them at the Varsity, and we have a fabulous lunch. But the main thing that I enjoy about that lunch with Tim Boyer and Ashton Ritchie is that they both are smarter than me, and they can tell me things that I did not know. And when we first sat down, I asked Tim, I said, I just 30, 40 minutes ago got an email from a fellow who had a, a zoysia lawn that at one time in the past had been some Bermuda in there, and he wanted to know how do you remove Bermuda grass from zoysia. And Tim said, you know, one of the easiest ways to do it, one of the best ways, is to really limit your fertility and raise your mowing height. And I hadn't really thought about that, but it's true. I have said to people who have zoysia to be more scarce than, than, than excessive with your fertilizer. In other words, zoysia really doesn't need to be fertilized as heavily as Bermuda grass does to, to grow and look nice or a lawn. And Tim said, look, if you, if you put things like some of the slow-release organic fertilizers, he says on his own zoysia lawn, he uses milorganite, which has very comparatively little nitrogen in it, 6% nitrogen compared to the normal turf fertilizers you get from the, from the nurseries. It's 27 28% sometimes. But he uses a 6% nitrogen source for his zoysia grass. I think he said he put it down twice a year. And he said, if I had Bermuda grass, I would stop mowing at about an inch and a half and raise my mower height up to about two inches. And he said, if you keep mowing regularly, the zoysia will be able to tolerate being at the two-inch height much better than the Bermuda grass will be. And he said, just keeping your fertility under control and mowing high can many times take the Bermuda out of zoysia without having to resort to 
spraying Roundup on the big patch and then replacing it with zoysia sod or digging it all out with a shovel or, you know, all the things that we sometimes tend to want to do. Spray it with something that's fine, a product that will selectively take the Bermuda grass out when, in fact, manipulating the environment around the grass is the better thing to do. Well, learning that from a turf expert was one of those things that I need to put into the back of my head and say, well, that next time we need to talk about that when someone has. This is very common when someone has Bermuda grass in their zoysia lawn, how to get the grass out, because that is one of the problems. Some grasses grow in pretty comparable comparable um, um, situations in a lawn, and it's hard if you want to get one out to get it out without hurting the other one. So that's one of those things that you, that you can do is change the environment around those grasses. What else did I learn this week? Oh, the caterpillars, the caterpillars. Typically, at this time of year, people will email me pictures of these black caterpillars with white or yellow stripes along the back, maybe orange stripes along the back, saying, I found a bunch of these caterpillars in my oak tree and just eating up all the leaves in my oak tree. What are they? So typically, I will say, those are the orange-striped oak worms a very common late summer caterpillar that gets in oak trees and eats up lots of leaves and typically doesn't much hurt the tree in the long term. But this year, this summer, this week, this uh, Wednesday, a guy sent me a picture of different caterpillars eating oak trees. Boy, you could there was some tore-up leaves in that oak tree. But the caterpillar that he sent had stripes but had white hairs over it. Little fine wispy hairs all over it. I know that the orange striped oak worm does not have hairs. It has little spikes. So I had a little caterpillar hunt through the internet to try to find out what it was. It turned out to be the contracted dantana caterpillar. Ooh, I can say that now with confidence. Contracted dantana caterpillar. The only difference between it and the orange striped oak worm is one has hair and the other one doesn't. Totally like me. <laughs> some of my friends. Some of us do have hair, some of us don't. That's the way it is. Ay, ay, ay. 404-872-0750 is the number you can dial if you need your questions answered this morning. There's a question. There's a question coming to me. There's a question coming to me from Griffin, Georgia. And we'll go first to our friend Nicole in Griffin. Hey, Nicole. Miss Ray. Miss Nicole. Good morning, good morning. Long time no talk. Well, you know, you're the one. You got the phone on your end of the world. You call me. No, you're on vacation all well, the time. You're gone. What's going on, sweetheart? <laughs> um... I don't think I have a, uh, cut grass as much as I get, uh, as much I have this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. Those little boys down the street that mow my grass, they are rich, rich this year because every time that I see my grass get long, I think, man, I just had it mowed three days ago. Come on. Yeah, same here, same here. Yeah. Uh, when I go to Nashville, Mr. Reeves, I have to go over the, the uh, Mount Eagle. Sure. And uh, I think in 36 years, I never saw one eagle. <laughs> and uh, this year, on top, there's a rest area with all mm, bunch of truck driver stuff and uh, idol and sleep and but cicada, Evan! Oh my gosh, you you could hear them up there chirping and rearing and stuff in the trees. Oh, incredible! The the, the noise is so loud, yeah. and uh, for ten to fifteen trucks standing there, you still cannot hear the truck. You know <laughs> how many is there, and why on top of Montego? Because that's where that particular brood has established its um, colony, for lack of a better word. Because cicadas, there are various groups, we call them broods, groups that 
have just established themselves as being the ones that emerge in the 17 years cicadas. It takes 17 years before you'll see these cicadas or their children again. But 17 years ago, a bunch of them came out in Mont Eagle. Maybe you didn't notice them then, but they were there. And they laid their eggs, and so they're coming out again 17 years later. And there are other groups that establish themselves around Kentucky, some up in North uh, Ohio. And these different broods come out at different years of the 17-year cicada genus cycle. Um, are they talking to each other, or why are um, making so much noise? Yeah, they're saying, hey, baby, hey, baby, uh, hey, oh, baby, hey. <laughs> oh, that's why. Okay, uh, sometimes I have a few boys. That's a nice sound to sleep at night. Oh, on sure. It. And uh, sometimes a cat would come back with one. Do they um, fall off the tree, die? or? Yeah, they fall. They go up in the tree, and the males, of the ones that are making the raspy sound of their legs and they find their female friends up in the trees they mate the females insert their eggs on the tips of tree twigs and here's something for you to look at in about three months from now before the leaves have fallen off of the trees you'll notice certain trees there at Mont Eagle will have the ends of the branch will turn brown and sometimes may crack off a little bit about the tip foot maybe of a branch Lots of them. And that's where the female inserted her eggs into the branch underneath the bark, weakens it enough that it falls off, and the egg then gets onto the ground, goes into the ground, lives underground, feeding on the juice that comes out of tree roots, although it doesn't particularly hurt the tree, for 17 years before it and its friends all hatch out and come up and climb in the trees and do the thing again. So that's what that that's what's going on up there, the life cycle. Oh, that's a... That's a life cycle, big time day, yeah. isn't it? 17 years until you see those babies again. But look in three months and you'll see the, the limbs that have been damaged by the, by the females. Again, nothing that really permanently hurts the trees, either from feeding on the roots or from breaking those little branches off. Neither one hurts particularly unless you're a big apple orchard grower or something like that. Well, uh, it does because uh, Mount Eagle, there's only rest area. There's no really house on top, mm. and uh, that's probably the, the perfect environment for them, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. But animals eat them. There's certainly raccoons and possums and dogs and cats and coyotes and things that eat the cicadas when they come out of the tree or fall out of the tree or emerge from the ground, either one. When they emerge... They have that, you've seen that shell, right, Nicole? Yeah. Yeah, they climb up a post, you'll see two or three of these little shells on the post. And so they will eat them right after they come out of the ground because they're softer then, easier to chew and digest. So that's when the dogs and the cats eat, eat their fill and sometimes eat so many they throw them up. And uh, uh, my brother went to Hawaii and they say the noise is so, uh, because a lot more house over uh-huh. there. Wow. The wow. noise bounced back, and he says it's impossible to uh, to sleep. If you, yeah, if those of our listeners who have not been to parts of the country where the cicadas emerge, and there are a couple of small brews here in Georgia, but nothing really major like the ones in North Georgia, Ohio, Tennessee, and forward that uh, really make noise. And like you say, you can not hear the trucks idling over the sound of the cicadas. It seems impossible to believe, but that is true. They are noisy. How many? How much population do you know? <laughs> millions and millions. I don't know how many particularly. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's 618. I got to go. It's, it's wonderful to hear your voice again, Nicole. 
Same here, Mr. Reeve, because I didn't talk to you for a few uh, weeks. Like a couple of weeks, yeah. We were, Ashley and I were talking this morning before we started the show, and she said, if Nicole doesn't call me this morning, I'm calling her this afternoon to see where she has been. I know. Because her fans ask us and bother us all the time. Where's Nicole? Where's Nicole? Where? I don't know where Nicole is. She'll call in. So I'm glad I'm to I'm always too far to pick up the station, too. So. Yeah. Good to hear from you. We'll see you soon. Enjoy your day. Okay. We'll see you. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need. At 6.25, a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Increasing clouds, increasing sun, I should say, today. About a 10% chance of rain, nothing to think about. Tomorrow, it cools down a little bit more, 87 tomorrow afternoon. More sunny tomorrow than it is today, even. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Tony in Fayetteville, Georgia, joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Tony, good morning. Uh, good morning, Walter. I called you a couple of weeks ago about my bingo, but uh, today i got a different uh, right. question for you there. Good man. What up? What's up? I had, um, we bought this house, it was about, about 10 years ago, and the previous owner had recently sodded uh, basically the whole yard. And there's an area back behind the house surrounded by some pretty tall trees. had nice Bermuda back there, but every year it gets thinner and thinner. Sure. So, um We just said, my wife says, let's put some blueberry bushes out there yeah. on the tree line or edge of it of the grass and we did and they don't do very well and the uh i don't know what it, it looks like a grapevine it's just invasive <laughs> just keeps trying to take over and oh sure it's, it's hard to keep it out so since that area where the bermuda is getting thinner and thinner we're just going to let it become a natural you know landscape so thought I'd move those uh, blueberry bushes out there toward the middle where it gives yeah, more sun. Absolutely. They're, I mean, they're not, they tolerate shade, but they don't make many blueberries in the shade, so you're absolutely right, right to move them to where the sun shines the hottest. That's where you get the more blueberries. Any, uh, any particular time of the year would be faster? Any, I think any when the leaves are gone, so let's talk okay. November, December, somewhere in there. And oh, the, that doesn't mean you can't do there. preparation now in the <laughs> in the heat of the summertime, Tony, if you want to. Sometime before you move, you've got to be a nice big area for the blueberries to be moved into. And so if there's a, a cool day that comes up in the next month or so, then think about, man, I want to go outside and dig those holes and get the soil ready, get some peat moss and mix in with it to acidify the soil. Maybe even once you have everything mixed up and settled in the beds, before you move anything, have a soil test done. The Fayette County Extension Service can do a soil test for about $8 and tell you what the pH is. And if anything limits the growth of blueberries in Georgia soils, is that the soils here, even though soils tend to be acidic in Georgia, they're not acidic enough for blueberries. Blueberries love to be down in the 4.5 to 5.5 pH range with very, very loose organic soil. And so that's why I said add peat moss to the, to the soil where you're going to plant. Make a nice big wide area to add peat moss to it. But that soil test that you can do between now and moving day might do a real, real a lot of help for making the blueberries eventually be really, really productive for you and the family. Thanks for calling Tony at 628 at News Talk WSB. Our phone number 404-872-0750. More Lawn and Garden after news. 
It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 636 and 74 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. Welcome, friends. I'm here to answer your garden questions in any way you care to pose them, 404-872-0750. Or on Twitter, if you have a Twitter account, just put a hashtag AskWalter and then say whatever's on your mind for there. One of the things that's on my mind is a heartfelt thank you to everyone who donated to the 17th annual WSB Carathon supporting the Children's Health Care of Atlanta, Aflac Cancer Center, Blood Disorder Center. $1.75 million. That is a lot of money. $1.75 million raised in just two days, a little under two days, by the on-air personalities. Ashley and I, of course, were here on Thursday night, 10 o'clock, interviewed the Lundy family and learned more about the successful treatment that little Briley had uh, undergone at Children's Health Care. It was terribly, terribly scary cancer, but the girl has now two years scanning cancer-free, and everybody in her family is rejoicing and happy, and we're happy too because we interviewed the family last year. They weren't quite sure where the future led, but Riley's doing fine. A million point seven five dollars raised for Children's Health Care of Atlanta, one of the most worthy organizations in the Atlanta area, and we do appreciate it. It's all because of you. At 637, we've got Jerry on the line. Jerry, join me on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm a fabulous man. What's up? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a storm front move through, and uh, the wind broke a limb off of an apple tree. Yeah. Uh, I guess about waist high, where the main trunk ports into the two main branches. Got it. It, it, it blew one of them over and split the trunk down about a foot or maybe even 15 inches. Wow. And so we just lopped that limb off. And my question is, is there anything we need to do special to this thing or just let it be as it is? Or what yeah. do we do to it? Most of my answer is going to be let it be as it is. You pretty summarized, <laughs> summarized the treatment pretty well there. Um, the best thing you can do, perhaps, is look and just examine the break and the split and the you know where the wood came apart, and make sure there's not much loose wood, no loose splinters or bark that's been torn and hanging there on the side of the tree or anything like that. Just get a razor right. knife and cut those off. That's all you have to do in that regard. The biggest thing to warn not to do is don't paint it. Don't paint it with tar. Don't paint it with any jelly. Don't put any uh, expandable foam in the hollow that's been made in the trunk or the limb socket. Don't do anything that would, over the next four or five years, tend to crack, but then seal or, or allow, I guess, moisture into and underneath that sealant material you put on it because that is where we run into real problems with apple trees or any other tree failing because the sealants inevitably fail. That's just a rule of physics and the way it works in the garden because the tree moving back and forth. And once they fail, the cracks that you can't, can hardly see let moisture behind and let insects sometimes get behind and you don't know they're there and then you get a big rotten cavity and then two years from now the apple falls apart in the other direction because the whole trunk rotted out because you put the paint on there. So don't do that. I got you. Well, down at the bottom where I guess you, the wedge 
part where it goes back into being a natural trunk. Got it. Um, I was looking at the idea of taking like a uh, a sawzall with like a foot long blade and just reaching there and cut that off. Right now, what we've done is just took a ratchet strap and tried to pull that back together. But yeah. I mean, that's not going to do much. And and begin my warning about if you pull it back together, then you're not going to be able to see what's going on inside there. I sort of would rather it stay dry, stayed open to the air, and that stimulates the tree to heal itself. That's one of the things about trees that's a little bit different from humans is that when they get a wound, they sense oxygen on their cells, and the oxygen stimulates the cells inside the wound, inside the tree, to, to thicken up and to have compounds that help to deter disease and insects and things like that. If you try to hold it together, that ratchet wrench, and make it so that not much oxygen hits the wounded wood, then it's not as uh, strong in its response to the damage. I got you. Now, all, the, all this said, Jerry, my father was famous for using a combination of two-by-fours and limbs he would cut off of the pine trees in the woods and various things like that to prop his trees up. And so if you feel like that one side of the tree is more weighted now because of the limb having popped out, if you feel like you need to prop it up, I have nothing wrong with that. My dad would keep trees alive for years and years and years, just propping them up with poles and bamboo and things like that. Nice. Okay. Well, I'll certainly get on that when right. I get back to the house. That's awesome. Thank you. Get on to it. Thanks for calling, Jerry. It was good talking to you. You too. 6.41 on a Saturday morning. Who's coming next? Kelvin. Kelvin's out in Conyers in Rockdale County. Kelvin, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Reyes. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. How can I help, Kelvin? Yeah, I have uh, some watermelon vines in my yard, and it's doing well. It's just that uh, the watermelons are just bursting open before they ripe. <laughs> yeah. Down in South Georgia, I remember it's not this year, but a couple of three years ago, they had a series of big storms, big, um, big thunderstorms down in South Georgia on the watermelon fields around Cordial. And someone that was interviewed in the news article about it said, you could stand out in the fields and just hear them pop out there. Wow. <laughs> the watermelons not only were stressed for having too much water, honestly, the, the vines and the roots were picking up so much water and putting it into the fruit that just a little bit of heat from the sunshine would expand the liquid inside the watermelon and pew, up it would pop. And they also had a bacterial disease that was weakening the uh, rind of the watermelon and causing some weakness, and then they pop open there and spew that nasty, you know, we don't want to talk about that, what it looks like. But nonetheless, you could hear them pop down there in Cordial. Um, so in your case, I mean, honestly, Kevin, it, Kevin, it is it is rain. What are you going to do? It's raining every every day just about, and that causes intense intense pressure inside tomatoes and watermelons both. They split when that happens. Oh, and there's nothing I can do? You know, the only thing I guess you could possibly do, not exactly right now, but wherever you plant watermelons, make sure the soil drains real fast. In other words, it has a lot of sand in it, like Cordial, Georgia. The sand helps to get the water away from the roots of the plant so they can pick up what they need, of course, but don't get an excess of water sitting around the roots and the plant picking up too much of it. So next year when you plant your watermelons, add another bag of real coarse sand to the soil and mix it in good so the sand so the soil drains quickly. And sometimes those watermelons that split open, they have a little bit of ripe watermelon inside, 
So don't throw them away. Open them up and see what's in there. Yeah, they're not fully ripe, man. And you can pickle that part. You can cut away any part that's damaged from the from the burst, and you can pickle, cut up little pieces, make pickled watermelon from the green watermelon. There's other things you can do besides have a ripe watermelon, Calvin. All right, then. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's good talking to you, man. Likewise. We'll see you soon. We've got Peggy on the line out in Carroll County. Peggy, hey, good morning. Welcome to Lawn and Garden. Hey, Walter. I have got a beautiful river birch that I put in an area of my lawn that collected water, and that was about eight years ago. Yeah. And it's probably now about 25, 30 feet tall, and it's starting to um, take a lot of the water from the grass around it. Now, I'm going to expand the mulch area, but... I mean, it, is is it gonna is that gonna do any good? And should I just cut it down and put something else there? I think you're giving too much credit to the tree. If there's if there's going to be a winner in the water war between a tree and the grass, it's going to be the grass that wins. The grass so has it, a much finer root system, and when the rain or irrigation comes, the grass gets at it first, and the grass sucks the water away from from the roots of the tree. So if the tree is sucking anything away, my guess would be it's more sunshine than it is water in the ground. So just expand it to the drip line? That would be my advice. I think that most uh, most river birches seem to have shallow roots and they have enough shade underneath them that the grass just doesn't want to grow underneath them. And so expanding the mulch out to the drip line or adding things into the, into the drip line that don't much care about the competition from the tree roots. Ferns in there could be in, in there, I'm sure. Maybe even a couple of uh, azaleas could be in there. But you don't have to necessarily go grass. And I don't think you can go grass underneath the river birch very successfully. So, yeah, mulch or something that tolerates the shade. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Drive safely, my friend. See you soon. Thanks, sir. 6.45. Bye. We got t- I know we got time for Gary in here. Hey, Gary. Hey, hey. Join us on the Lawn and Garden Show, Gary. Hey, man. Good morning. Hey, Walter. What's going on with all these worms in the trees? Oh, I've they're having a good time. Oh, <laughs> Those worms trees. are thinking, man, this is the best year we've had in decades. Woo-hoo. Uh, webworms. Fall webworms is what I'm seeing most of right now. Can you fish with them? Uh, never tried. <laughs> you could question. Don't know. Let me know what a, what happens when you try that. Uh, get a get your fishing pole and go up into the tree and just wind the webbing up around the end of the pole and jerk it out, and four or five of them will fall at your feet, and flip them into the water and see if the fish come to the surface and eat them. If they do, great. You got fish bait. If they don't, well, feed the birds. The birds like them, and the yellow jackets. Oh, the yellow jackets and hornets love them. Are they uh, related to Catawba worms? Not much, other than they're both caterpillars. <laughs> That's about it. It's like saying, are you related to the gorillas at the, at the Atlanta Zoo? Not real close. You're both you know, four-legged, humanoid-type creatures, but not much. Uh, Catawba worms, for whatever reason, I really don't know what makes a Catawba worm so attractive to fish, but you and I both know that... That's one of the best baits you can you can get is is caterpillars from the Catawba tree. What uh, what made them so bad this year? <sighs> you know, I told somebody the other day that my my stock in trade this year is all environment, mostly drought, and now in the summertime rain. 
And for whatever reason, the combination of <clears throat> drought last year, rain this year, lots of the worms have uh, that were laid last fall after the webworms went away last year, they just survived this year. They weren't picked on by the yellow jackets. They weren't eaten up by anybody else. And so the population has exploded. And so my mother's pecan tree, man, it's got 15 of them up in that tree, big billowy, willowy-looking webs up in the top of her pecan tree. And the real truth of the matter is, Gary, they're not going to hurt the trees all that much. I know they eat some leaves, and they're ugly, but it doesn't really hurt the tree. I've got one little tree. They, they encompass the whole tree. Well, then it, if it's it, little enough that you can get them out of there, then you know, lift the lip webbing off and let the worms get eaten by bugs or fish or whatever you care to do. If it's a little tree, yeah, I guess it could hurt it then. Okay. Right. Thank you much. Webworms, fall webworms. That's the name. Sometimes two generations per year, and I think we first generation succeeded admirably back in June, and the second generation is here now, and so we got lots and lots and lots of fall webworms. Just wind the webbing around the end of a pole, bring it down, and let nature take its course. That's the best advice I can give. At 648, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. going on Jason Byers who is playing this music I, I felt like you're in some parliament parliament was a funkadelic was a long time ago and I've forgotten the yeah 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 is the beginning well anyway a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security weather today increasing sun highs 87 today tomorrow mostly sunny and a little less humid high of 87 again low of 66 overnight it is cooling off a little bit from what it's been the last couple of days the full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on news 95.5 and am 750 wsb dave in rockdale county comes up right now on lawn and garden hey dave good morning good morning walter i have a couple of questions concerning uh bermuda grass all right let's go all right, I've started planting. I'm doing it in phases near the house. Um, uh, I've made my initial planting uh, just about a month ago. My problem is, and I'm using seed, not sod. Okay. Um, I've got ball spots that are showing up. What's there, what's coming up is beautiful green. I mean, it looks great, but I've got ball spots. What's the best remedy for taking care of those areas? Go on your hands and knees on a nice humid morning, or even if you want to, get a little sprinkle can or a watering can and go out there and sprinkle the area with the ball spots. Get on your hands and knees the next morning to see if there are little fine fungal webbing things growing in the grass. That would tell me that there is a disease marching through the grass and that you can spray a fungicide like uh, infused at Pike Cells or uh, what's another Immunox that they have at the other big box stores. But you want to see that fungal stuff on the grass before you spend all the money for the fungicide because it may be that this is just hard soil. It can be other reasons for bare spots in Bermuda, but I want to see that fungal material at the edge of the of the spot that's dead before I really say, oh, you got a disease, oh, you need to put some fungicide on it. Okay. And second question is, how late uh, can I 
plan. Like I say, I'm doing missing phases. Yeah, you can do I, some today, this week. I, let me think what would I think the latest you could plant. I want it to be up and strong enough to not have any winter damage on it. So let's count back. It takes about six to eight weeks to get that strong. So first frost is November. Let's go back to October. Let's go back to September. I would say mid to late August would be the latest I'd want to plant it. Okay. Sounds great. Appreciate your advice. All right. Good luck with it, man. Bermuda is a great grass and seed is fine and you're doing it in phases. That's nothing to be Ashamed of there. Be sure you fertilize it lightly. Don't give it a lot of fertilizer because that also tends to make grass more disease uh, susceptible. So make sure your fertility is on the light side. Don't just try to push it up with a lot of fertilizer. That may end up making more disease than you really want. It's 6.58 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. We'll be back after news.